0: Nella Elizabeth climate change and the consequences for us and other living beings on our earth. No one should be alone in the greatest challenge of our time. Episode 5 about living with children in times of climate chaos. In this episode I hold an interview with Lisa White. Thanks to Laura UpShow for African Drum Dance on YouTube. In times of climate chaos, living with children is a challenge, but also an enrichment and joy. Climate change is unfolding faster than thought and puts us in more and more difficult living conditions. Yet in less than one generation the human habitat can be destroyed. What does that mean for our children? My name is Wolfgang Warminghausen. This is the first podcast in Germany on abrupt climate change leading to near-term human extinction. I'm producing alternating English and German episodes, so please share this with your German friends. Schneller als gedacht can be translated into faster than expected. In this episode I have the pleasure to present an interview with Lisa White. Lisa is a single mother living in the United States in the state of Colorado. Her educational background includes a degree in marketing. However, having embarked upon a spiritual path, the last few years have included intense training and study of intuitive archetypal astrology. Lisa uses her training to guide people into finding meaning and healing through their challenging times, including facing abrupt climate change. She is also a third-degree master teacher of Reiki and her writing can be found in O.M. Times, an online consciousness magazine. Her recent experience has included being a contributor for Extinction Radio. Her work can be found at her website www.walkinthemud.com and on SoundCloud at Lisa White, Walk in the Mud. In the middle of our talk I've inserted a snippet of a podcast with Guy McPherson and Mike Sleever, They are talking about not having children. I like their radio show Nature Beds Last very much, but here I disagree how they have been talking about this subject. Please enjoy our conversation. Lisa, I am so pleased to have you on my podcast Schneller Als Gedacht and to have the opportunity to talk to you in person via Skype. We know each other since around one year. We have met in a Facebook group around Melody Drew, where we have been working on balancing dualities, a kind of mental, emotional or spiritual work. Here I send my love to Melody in South Africa. There are many facets uh, of your person we could talk about, but i like to focus Our talk on living with children in the face of abrupt climate change and near-term human extinction. To be a mother is not an outstanding quality, but in this dire situation, maybe it is. How do you live in Colorado?
1: Well, first of all, I'd like to say thank you so much. It's so great to be talking with you in person after knowing you for a year. And I'm really honored to be here Wolfgang. Um, how do I live in Colorado? Well, I live in the mountains of Colorado at about 10,000 feet with my son. I'm a single mother and I live very simply. I'm trying to teach him, um, to be close to nature, to learn how to garden. Um, I'm trying to give him skills to live outside of quote, the system that we all, um, have been brought up in and he lives with his father part-time too. So he kind of bridges both worlds. My son, he lives with his father who lives in more of a capitalistic mainstream lifestyle. And then he gets my perspective as a mother uh, during this time of abrupt climate change. And what I really want to try to instill in him is the, um, social skills, I think, that we'll need moving forward, as well as uh, survival-type skills um, when and if the grid goes down or we have no food in the supermarket. So I try to spend a lot of time outdoors, and he does as well. He loves to ski and play hockey. So um, trying to keep him connected uh, to nature, I think, is very important, too, and that's how we try to live up here in the mountains.
0: Mm, fine. Fine. In one of the last podcast or radio show segments, you have talked about the elephant in the room, whom you can see, but everybody else is not aware. I like this metaphor very much. Last week, I had a short holiday with my wife, Ella and the dog at the North Sea in the Netherlands. It was cold, stormy and raining. A new that has to do with extreme temperature anomalies in the Arctic, with waviness of jet streams, with changing ocean currents. On the other side of the holiday apartment has been a supermarket. We could observe the people going in and out. I had in my mind that we are in an abrupt climate change and that our supply systems are very fragile. In a collapse situation, we only have a few days until the supermarkets are empty. Okay, I buy things in supermarkets as well. And I always see this big elephant. How does one of your elephants look like?
1: Mm, that's a really good question. Um, living in the mountains, I live near Breckenridge, Colorado, which is a big ski resort. And so I think the biggest elephant for me is that I live in an area where people come to get away and forget the real world. And many people come here to live, um, to escape the the cities. And um, it's almost a fantasy land type mentality around here. And I think the, um, the biggest elephant I see in this area is the fact that we rely on the tourist industry and, which is based on snow and our resources naturally and knowing what i know i look around and see all my friends they all own businesses that are um, based on tourism and just knowing that this market is so fragile and our economy or just our local economy is so fragile to um, the tourist trade and to whether we have snow and um, or if people are even able to get here. And also, um, we have a really long winter, so trying to garden is really tricky. We have about three months where we can, you know, grow a few things to put away. So obviously a big elephant here is um, food and, and trying to um, have enough uh outside the stores. On spring break in the springs Uh, in the springtime the um, college kids come in and all the families and it's a very busy time and I'll walk into the store and I might be the last one to get a certain product on the shelf. So in a way you kind of see how the supply and demand and how the shelves can just go empty just because it happens to be a holiday weekend up here. So we get a little practice but um, we're remote and so trying to get food here in an event where uh, trucks can't get up the mountain or everything mm. collapses. That's my biggest elephant and the economy as well because tourism is a luxury and I think people will start, um, questioning their choices as uh, things start getting more dynamic.
0: Mm. I have a kind of time frame of living on this planet. It's like this from very short, in some months, after a massive outburst of methane in the Arctic, up to 10 um, or 15 years, for two reasons. One, I'm convinced that the self-reinforcing feedback loops lead to an exponential unfolding of climate chaos. Second, I hear Guy McPherson cite as a biologist that our habitat, air, food, Water temperature will change too fast to adapt. I hope he's wrong, but I don't see it. Do you have a time frame like this?
1: You know, I often think about that, and I debate back and forth. Um, I don't think personally I have a time frame that is set in stone. I believe it'll be, of course, sooner than later. But um, I watching... Watching things in the news as opposed to real life, it's hard to really, at least for me, because I'm not affected with drought and fires and um, what other people are experiencing. So to try to make that um, cognitive connection of X amount of years, I would say, mm, for me, 25 to 30 years seems a range that feels about right. And... Then I always just leave the option for we will never really know um, how it'll go down and who will be the last man standing and um, how do we um, navigate the the change when it starts going exponential. Um, I muse on it daily and try to figure out how 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 will this look, mm. um, but it's almost unfathomable to imagine in my mind but I feel like it's um, definitely less than 100 years, and that's what the mainstream wants to pin it out and put it way out so that we don't have to think about it. But I think it's way sooner than later. So I would say 25, 30 years is about where my comfort zone is there. Mm
0: -hmm. You call yourself a spiritual guide, right? Yes. For, For me, life and death is a spiritual subject. I'm orientated at Tibetan Buddhism. I'm really no good meditator, but joining a Dharma group some years ago has changed a lot of my thinking and, of course, feelings too. I would not face this predicament in this way without that background. What is your spiritual response to this dire situation?
1: That's a beautiful question. Um, I agree. I would have faced this very differently if I hadn't entered a spiritual path. And for me, spirituality um, isn't a specific religion. It's more about my feeling connected to the whole, to the world at large. And I entered um, my spiritual path through a Western perspective, and um, i learned astrology and uh, I work with clients to help guide them spiritually. And I work with their uh, astrology chart. And what astrology taught me was that there's a correlation between a person's birth chart, a collective um, society's actual, they they can have a birth chart and the way it connects with the cosmos. Um, And when I can see correlations in my own birth chart or somebody else's birth chart and how it uh, correlates with um, events in the collective as well as the stars in the heavens and you can see these correlations, you really realize how connected we are um, on so many levels, both with nature and with someone across the world. And so for me, spirituality is um, understanding that greater connection and um, abrupt climate change, to me, is a portal, um, actual portal for an awakening of this nature to see our interconnectedness. Um, because as these events unfold, you see how one action here or one event there leads to another somewhere else, and it's all interconnected. And then we all do have to face our fears around this life and death, um, situations will bring, uh, a spiritual moment to someone who, and they'll want to question, why am I here? What's my purpose? And I, I often deal with those types of questions, um, with a lot of my clients, as well as the, um, the fear of dying and somehow missing their, um, Potential in this lifetime, Uh, a lot of people worry about that. When they're contemplating their death as well,
0: what does that mean for you as a mother?
1: Well, as a mother, um, especially in this time of change and abrupt climate change, and and how do we raise a child? uh, Having a spiritual perspective to me is so important, in trying to relay a greater connection to. everyone in the world to my son and teach him that he is part of a greater system of life. And I feel that responsibility very deeply right now, as opposed to teaching him how to survive in a capitalistic uh, system that depends on going out and getting the right job and the right house and and things like that and, and consumerism. I really want to teach him how to find greater meaning in life's events and in chaos, and how to hold his center, um, all of which are spiritual and um, inner practices. So as a mother, I, I take that response as my greatest responsibility now, um, especially in this time of great change.
0: Mm-hmm. Yesterday of heard a new video podcast episode with Guy McPherson and Mike Sleever, filmed by Mark. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Um, Amongst others, they have been um, talking about overpopulation and not having children. And the way they have done it gave me a hit in the gut. Let's hear this short section it's not so easy to understand, they are sitting at the rushing water of a river.
1: When, when you say over and over again, as I did for more than 20 years in the classroom, that we're in human population overshoot, and maybe you should think about not having kids, that doesn't work. All As far as I know, I didn't influence a single student. I think they all went out and had children. Yeah. Every single one of them. Because okay. it's really hard to overcome our evolutionary programming. And that includes procreation. Yeah. We just are are evolutionarily hardwired to make little copies of ourselves. And it's part of the it's part of the script. You know, you, you get your education, you get a car, you get a decent job, you get married, you buy a house, you have kids. It's just kind of it's it's, it's in every sort of fabric, evolutionary and social. And to resist that. It's, it's imprinted. It's yeah, it's tough. And you get called things like I'm sure guys experience this. Uh, you're selfish for not having kids. Oh yeah. Oh really? I'm selfish for not making a little freaking replica of myself. But I think it is selfless to so not have children. It's not selfish. Right. You're actually giving up materials for other people to use this by having your, by not having a child. Right. By having your child not use those things. And I've had a number of people in my over the years tell me, don't take this the wrong way. I love my children, but I totally get what you've done. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, oh. So uh-huh. Yeah. Realize it's, that almost as if, late. it's almost as if they're saying, I wish I had done that too. Right. But I can't say that. I can't. That. I mean, I love them. I love my children. But, I get it.
0: This has been a part of my response on Facebook. I want to write some thoughts about the talk about population overshoot and thinking about not having children. I totally respect that you decided not to have children. But how you talked about that, uh, he gave me a punch in the gut. I have four children, 28, 23, 13 and 13. And of course, I love them. That's not the point my belly is reacting on. I imagine to tell my children, oh, we have a population overshoot and it is probable that we are all dying. I think it would have been better not to have you. To our foster children, that your biological parents hadn't born you. It's selfish to have you. Of course, I won't say that because it will hurt. What is your reaction?
1: You know, that's a very good question. And um, I saw that clip and um, I did like the response in the fact that we are all biologically wired to reproduce and also socially and culturally. And um, those are really big things in our culture as a woman, if, I decided not to have a child. I'm sure a lot of people would um, give me a bunch of flack just because a woman is supposed to reproduce and have a baby and feel her biological clock ticking. And so I like the, the fact that they addressed it as um, you know our biologically and socially the strong urge in, in to not to choose not to have children must have been, very difficult in the sense of the pressure that comes from society and family to do, you know, to have a child. Um, As far as my reaction to having had a child and with the work that I do um, spiritually and astrologically, I believe in paths of the soul. And I believe that the soul wouldn't do something um and come into this life if it wasn't meant to um looking at my son i don't know who i'd be today without him so my being able to sit here with you and accept what is happening um, might have been a result of having him and him teaching me patience and compassion and um if i knew what i No, now back then would I have made a different choice I was a different person as well so it's an impossible answer in that respect Um, being a mother has enriched me and I totally respect anybody who is making the choice not to have a child now Um, but I believe either path is meant to be in our learning in our growth and um, having my son has really um, made me stronger and more compassionate, and I feel he's probably my greatest teacher in this world. Mm-hmm. So, I, as a parent, um, have no regrets. I know it's his path as a soul. He has a very distinct personality. He's got a little survivor in him and very um, a big leader and very strong. And, and maybe his soul wanted to come and experience this type of situation for whatever learning it needed to do. Um, And these are big questions and philosophical thoughts that we really have no answer to. Um, So I respect both choices. It is hard to see a bunch of little baby pictures and all my friends being all excited about brand new babies when you know what you know. And, you know, of course I don't say anything because, they're happy and they're building a family. So um, in a sense, that makes me a little sad and wondering, especially the fact that if they don't know what's going on and they're having a child, they're going to have to deal with their own reaction as well as parenting a child. And um, at least knowing what I know now has given me the chance to work on my own reactions and my own beliefs around climate change and um, he's a little bit older now. So at least while I'm working on this, I can teach him as he's growing and learning. So, um, yeah, it's a big, big subject. And, you know, I feel for the parents having child- very young children right now. Um, my son's 13, so he still has hopes and dreams. And I don't squash him. I um, let him have his hopes and dreams. And he does know about climate change in my views, but I don't um, throw that on him every day. So, mm. yeah, it's a big question as a parent. And for those who chose to not have children, I think it's just a wonderful and valid choice as well. So, um, you know, respect goes to both sides.
0: Yes, yes. In another podcast, you have used the expression love on the way down. I think you don't mean just the dark, scary demise, but as well the twin sister of grief, joy. Would you like to tell a little what's important for you living with a child in these times?
1: Yes. Um, for me, living right now with a child is um I think being as present as I can to every moment with him um I am grateful for knowing what I do know about about climate change and the fact that it has had me re-examine my values around work, career um, capitalism things and stuff and acquiring and, Um, And so I've really um, examined my values to be more of experience with him. And it doesn't have to be going on vacations and running all over the world and having a big footprint, but just those moments where we can connect as parent to child and as human to human. He has a lot to teach me. Um, And I, I think love on the way down is how can we, despite bad circumstances, even if we know the outcome is not going to be what we wish it to be, how can we still um, hold a grace of presence and find joy and beauty and meaning um, in every moment that we do have? Because even if we do know about abrupt climate change, we don't really know when we'll leave this planet, you know, whether we get hit by a bus tomorrow or if we last another 20 years. So, um, I think it's, there's a gift in knowing about abrupt climate change and seeing how precious life really is. All life.
0: Yes, of course. You and Carolyn Baker are often talking about the necessity of bringing beauty into the world. Why is it so important for children and how?
1: Ah. Uh, Yes. Beauty. I think it's so important. And for children, I think in a way they bring their own special sense of beauty in um, in being a child and play and giggling and laughing. And um, I find a lot of joy myself in beauty and watching a child just playing and um revisiting my own little girl when I can. Um, my son and I were actually playing Legos the other day and building things and it was a lot of fun just to be, you know, a childlike again. And to me that's a sense of beauty as well. And and teaching children how to tap into their creative side, I think, is really important. We all have some sort of way that we can create in this world. And whether it's through art or music, um, my son is a sportster. So He started making little videos of him skiing and so he's got this little videographer in him, um, and filming his friends and, you know, doing their ski jumps and, and bringing that creativity and, um, it's almost like bringing life into the world itself. Even if it's not a human life, it might be the life of art or music and, and the things that live beyond us, um, are beauty and, and to experience that and try to bring and create that at any time that we can, I think is a wonderful gift to what is left of us in the end and to um, anyone around us in, in our daily lives.
0: Mm-hmm. Finally, would you please give me three brief advices how to cope with the upcoming emotions with extinction and death in mind?
1: Hmm three things only three <laughs> um, wow Or some you know, <laughs> I think um what's important with emotions um is realizing that you're having one and not reacting to it so um I think all emotions should be honored mm-hmm. I do believe there's no right way to do extinction we haven't been here before and um We have thinking brains and, you know, like the dinosaurs, I'm sure they weren't sitting around contemplating these things. You know, they just did it. And so we're going to have emotional reactions. And I think the first thing that um, is most important is to realize that everybody under stress reacts differently and to honor somebody's um, reaction, whether you agree with it or not. Um, And it doesn't have to be in the sense of letting somebody verbally abuse you, but understanding that that person is under stress and doesn't have the tools to deal with it. So first, honoring our emotions and learning how, when you're having an emotion, to be with it. Um, I've been experiencing, personally, a lot of anger lately. um, And I don't know if that's just on the wind or me, but it's a phase I'm in. (laughs) So when I sit with my anger... I get to a sense of deep sorrow. And so instead of trying to numb my anger or make it go away through exercise or drinking or baking or eating or whatever, some sort of addiction, I um, I sit with it and um, let it go through me and let it tell me what it wants me to learn. Because our emotions will speak to us. And um, I think when we can do that, that's the second part, is coming back to our center, finding ways. Um, Carolyn is doing a nice series with Ivy right now Mm -hmm. on ways to um, cope during these times. And they did a segment on finding our center and finding different activities that will bring us back into the present moment, whether it's walking in nature or um, uh, painting or doing music, something, meditating exercise. Those types of things will snap us back. So being present to me is uh, the second most important thing. And I think trying to cultivate compassion, um, we might not understand where people are coming from. And we all are going to have our own reactions to what's happening in our own um, judgments about how it should be done. And you know, I see a lot of conversations about the right way to eat and the right way to um, live and you know the things you should buy and not buy. and and there's just so many rules around the right way to do about climate change and avoid catastrophe and this and that. And we're all just coming from our own programming. So I think realizing that we're all individuals and having that compassion for each other, um, even if we don't understand where somebody's coming from, I think it helps cut down on, um, discrimination and judgment and, um, can help us because I think right now these types of conversations are luxuries. If somebody in India in a heat wave is not going to be sitting around talking about what do you think and, you know, about climate change. They're experiencing it. And so we don't know how we're going to react until we're in the throes of it. And I think trying to cultivate our inner strength and reserves and um trying to even if we don't get where somebody's coming from at least give them the compassion of being human and having a human response um i I think will go a long way in us trying to ride these bumpy waters
0: oh thank you thank you very very much that you have been here in my podcast interview i enjoyed it very much Bye-bye, Lisa.
1: Bye. Thank you, Wolfgang, And I've enjoyed it as well. It's been great chatting. And it's good to see you. Bye-bye.
0: Schneller als gedacht. Many thanks to Lisa White for her interview. To David Korn for his professional support. To Laura Upshaw for African Run Dance on YouTube. The next episode will be in German. We will talk to prize-winning science fiction and eco-thriller author Dirk Zefling.